Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. This is Dave, your host. Today, we are going to be joined by one of the OG data and market media people in this entire industry. His name is Clayton Collins. He is the CEO of Housing Wire Media. If you're not familiar with Housing Wire, they're one of the biggest housing market media companies in the industry. They don't focus really on investors, sort of like we do here at Bigger Pockets. They focus on the broader marketplace. So, you know, mortgage lenders, real estate agents, a lot of those types of things. But Clayton and his team, they have been acquiring data companies actually over the last couple of years. And so they have some of the most cutting edge data of any of the sources out there. And so today I'm having Clayton on to talk to him about some recent changes that we've been seeing in the market. So inventory, as you all know, is a really big issue this year, and they have some of the most up-to-date information about that. So I'm eager to talk to them about if there's a shift going on as we go into the winter, because I'm starting to feel one or sense one, and I'm curious to see what he's seeing. We're also going to talk about Clayton's predictions for mortgage rates. And I know this is something people really want to know. So I'm, I'm going to talk to Clayton and get his opinion about where mortgage rates are going to go and why. And I know we all like to prognosticate, but there are some really important macroeconomic trends and sort of technicalities that go on behind the scenes that Clayton knows a lot about and is going to help share with us today. So that's what we got for you today. It's going to be an awesome show. It's a lot of fun. Clayton is 
really great at explaining um, some really important topics in the housing market. So we're going to bring him on in just a minute here. But first, we're going to take a quick break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9 to 5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Clayton Collins, welcome to On The Market. Thanks for being here. Dave, it's my pleasure. Thrilled to be your guest today. Well, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. For people who don't yet listen to the Housing Wire podcast, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at Housing Wire? Yeah, happy to. So I'm the CEO at HW Media, where I have the pleasure of, of leading our, our Housing Wire team. At Housing Wire, we're focused on providing housing professionals from real estate brokerage and agents to loan originators and mortgage capital markets leaders and loan servicers with the full picture of, of the housing economy. So we have a team of editors and reporters that cover everything that happens in housing from housing market and interest rate news to the, the movement of people and companies and M and a and innovation, everything that happens in housing. And, uh, I came into this venture, and I'll tell you more about my background, Dave, more as a, a banker type, but somehow I got sucked into hosting a podcast, and now I'm the host <laughs> of the Housing News Podcast. So each week yeah. I interview 
different executives in the housing industry from mortgage bank CEOs to economists about what's happening in their world. We kind of keep it like a board level conversation and talk about kind of the, some of the tougher topics that they don't always get to talk about. Um, and I try to pull out some of that, that juicy knowledge <laughs> yeah. and, and this really fun format that I think you and I have both grown to love. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's a great show. I, I, I do listen often. So, and you do get excellent guests. So definitely recommend it. I appreciate it. One of the other things you didn't even touch on, and you know, I've been following Housing Wire for many years, is that recently you acquired Altos Research, and we have had uh, their founder, Mike Simonson, on the show, and uh, he and I are, are, are friendly as well. And now you guys are tracking some of the most up-to-date housing market data, honestly, there is that I see. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you all are looking at? Yeah. So Dave, I appreciate you asking about that. Altos is an important part of that, that phrase I use the, the full picture. So we believe that business news and business content is on a constant evolutionary cycle that's leaning more and more toward data enriched content and research and proprietary information and narrative driven journalism and storytelling is an incredibly important part of a data rich ecosystem. It's how professionals consume information, but we know for us to achieve what we want to achieve at housing wire by being the full picture, we need experts like Mike and data like we get from Altos to, to really color that, that picture. Altos tracks, 100% of active listings in the country. So we like to think of Altos as the most real-time source of data for what's happening in the active real estate market. So we're watching every active listing, every price change, every pending, all the data that drives market intelligence. And our users, which are primarily real estate agents, title professionals, and loan originators, use that information to better inform their home buyers and sellers and referral partners. So we take all this active market data and kind of decipher it down and, and cleanse it and make it understandable. So professionals at the local level can be the expert in their market and know exactly what's happening in their zip code or their city or their neighborhood. And um, we have some really cool visualizations of data and the, the health of the market. We call it the market action index. And we bring all these tools directly to the professionals that are working with home buyers and sellers every day and make it easy for them to understand what's happening in housing. Yeah, great. I mean, I totally agree with the value proposition. That's the whole idea behind the show as well, is, uh, that we need more narrative data-driven information in today's yep. world. And you guys are doing a great job at it. And just for anyone listening, you can check it out. A lot of it's just available uh, yeah, on HousingWire. You can go check it out right there. But tell us, uh, Clayton, what are you seeing right now? Because inventory has really been the story of the year. Uh, it's the word of the year in real estate, I guess. Uh, but uh, things are starting to look a little different as we're heading into Q4. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's been an incredibly. I'm not. Even gonna, I don't want to use the trite term of challenging market. It's been a complicated market, Dave. So over the last year and a half, we've seen interest rates, mortgage interest rates grow at a faster pace than we've seen at nearly any time in history. And we're at a point right now where interest rates are at 20 year highs. And that creates some really challenging dynamics in the market. And 
in most environments where interest rates expand this quickly and reach multi-decade highs, you'd start to see some serious pain in the underlying asset and you'd start to see home prices decline. But there's this other dynamic and it's that word that you just mentioned, inventory, that's made this challenging market more so of a complicated or complex market. So depending on the research you follow and the, the analysts that you trust, there's a view that we've been underbuilding in the US for, for at least 13 years and household formation has far outpaced new inventory coming to market. So we have this demographic push of first time home buyers and household people that are forming households that are creating demand in the US uh, housing economy. And we just haven't kept up and that under supply has created an inventory constraint. And despite the pressure with mortgage interest rates, we've seen home prices hold up in most markets. Home price appreciation has continued and it creates this really unhealthy dynamic where first time home buyers, repeat buyers all face affordability challenges, finding the home that they, that they want. And it creates a pretty funky scenario in the residential housing ecosystem. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, I think we're, we're all sort of getting used to this low inventory situation. Yeah. Like, do you see anything in your data or just in your own opinion that would increase supply? Cause you know, we talk a lot on the show about demand because that seems more variable, but I just like, I'm having a hard time. I've been asking a lot of guests this. Like, do you think anything will change the supply picture? Through the end of this year, maybe into 2024. Do you want me to hunt for silver linings or? Uh... Sure. Do whatever you want to do. <laughs> I, no, I think the reality is I do not I do not see a dynamic that, that changes the inventory or supply situation drastically in the foreseeable future. I, I think we're looking forward at a, a multi-year, potentially multi-decade market where we operate in a in a lower inventory, lower supply, supply constrained market. Um, now, we know coming out of COVID in a market that moved incredibly quickly to the upside in terms of volume, and then then now this interest rate increase that year over year metrics are are hard to track, and there's going to be noise in like every measure where we're looking at month over month year over year, um, even normalizing for COVID, there's a lot of noise in year over year metrics. So today, as we sit in fall of 2023, we're watching the Altos research data and we're seeing that inventory today is still 5% lower than inventory of last year, despite the fact that we've been watching inventory increase each week for, for the last right. several months. So like we start to see this trend where new, more inventory is coming available and that's coming available because days on market is extending. So homes are not moving as quickly as interest rates approach this seven and a half, eight percent range. So homes are sitting longer. So inventory is building now. The easy headline there, the housing bear, the bu the bubble boy persona, as our analyst <laughs> Logan Motoshami would. Uh, yeah, well, we're we're big fans of Logan. I yeah. love Logan. His his uh, terminology is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he is a um, he's a genius when it comes to uh, colorful terminology. Um, <laughs> yeah. Some of the players in this housing ecosystem that we operate in, 
But uh, so the bubble boy mentality would be like, oh gosh, we're looking at like multi months where every single week inventory is climbing. Like this is this is a problem brewing, but we're still sitting at a place with 5% fewer homes than last year. And I'm not armed with the data as we come into this conversation, Dave, but we're significantly lower than we were at almost every point pre-COVID in terms of what normal housing inventory levels oh, yeah. look like. So like, I'm going to warn you right now, someone's going to write a headline and saying like, <laughs> inventory is climbing, home prices are getting slashed, we're heading into a bubble, a turbulent market, it's all going to blow up. Our data does not show that. We show that we are climbing, but we're climbing back toward a slightly healthier place, slightly healthier, right. but we are still in a savagely unhealthy housing market. And that unhealthiness is fueled by low inventory and affordability challenges that are complicated by mortgage rates and home prices. Yeah. I think that's super important for people to pay attention to not just the percent change, but the absolute numbers when they're looking at some of this data, because there is something as we've gone over on this show a little bit, uh, is that there's something called the base effect when you're comparing, you know, this year to an anomalous year like last year, then data looks a little bit crazy. But if you zoom out a little bit and look over five years or 10 years, you can see that historically uh, inventory was much higher than it was even today, even though it has started to increase. Now, this is a good segue to one of the things I wanted to ask you, because in certain markets, we are starting to see inventory approach or even exceed pre-pandemic levels. And these are some of the, you know, COVID boom towns like Boise and Austin, I think Vegas and Reno or, you know, those those profile. But some of those markets have actually steady, you know, been okay over the last few months, even though they were previously in a correction. Do you see any change in demand or any downward pressure on prices in, in those markets? Yeah, so we published some research based off of data from CoreLogic on some of the markets that are most likely to see a price decline, Dave. And what we're seeing in that data is that there's different drivers in in all of those markets. So there's markets like in Ohio and Pennsylvania that are being driven by um, kind of lack of population growth and lack of job growth. And then there's markets in in Florida or like you know as we you know we think back to the 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 phrases of the last crisis, the sand states, I just saw rapid appreciation in prices, and it's more so of a normalization than a but a normalization that's will still like sit significantly higher than like the base rate of of pre COVID. So there's different drivers on like what we're seeing in each market. Uh, I think we saw a lot of exuberance and over ask offers and in certain markets that were really popular during COVID, particularly in states that had, um, you know, kind of a better lifestyle, more, more lax, um, uh, enforcement of, uh, some of the COVID restrictions, no state income taxes, like the things that attracted people over the last couple of years. And, um, some of those states are, are going to see a slowdown in home price appreciation and certain markets may even see some declines in prices. But, uh, I think it's very much, it's hard to quantify those as like, bubble markets or, or crisis areas. It's just a volatile pricing ecosystem that saw a fast run up and is trying to find the equilibrium point. Yeah. It, it's weird because it feels like there was this correction, at least on a modest correction on a national scale is more pronounced in these types of markets. 
in, you know, about a year ago in Q4 of 2022, maybe into Q1. And then it, things got better, you know, at least from a price perspective, if you're someone who wants high prices, <laughs> I think certain investors of our investors don't want high prices. No. Um, but, um, you know, and now it feels like, and you know, things got better. And I think a lot of people are starting to think, all right, we found a bottom to your point. There's like this pricing exercise that's going on. Like what is real? What was COVID exuberance or this like massive change in migratory patterns? But now it feels like we're going back. Like to me, at least it feels like we're going back into the pricing exercise because rates just won't slow down. And like now we're, we're like accepting. I feel like there's in the last two or three months, there's finally market wide acceptance that the Fed is not bluffing and that they're going to keep rates higher for longer. And we need to all deal with this. And now there's going to be this sort of second pricing exercise that goes on. And let's not even call it a pricing exercise. Let's call it the way markets are supposed to operate. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's literally a market. <laughs> when cost of capital goes up, like there's pressure on asset prices. And like yeah. if specifically, and so I mean, we primarily look at the housing economy through the lens of the residential homeowner. And I know the bigger pockets audience is inclines much more toward the the investor category. So it's a, it's a different lens, and there's a little bit of different analysis that goes into um, you know the right time to buy or sell, whether you're looking for a roof over your head or or an asset that that produces yield. But the the secret for on the investor side is you know understanding the national headlines and that. Over the last 12 months, on a national level, we've still saw close to 4% national home price appreciation. Over the next 12 months, we expect 3 to 3.4% home price appreciation. But where are the deviations from that? And like the article that, that you spotlighted and asked me about of where home prices are supposed to fall, that volatility, I think, is where like opportunity will be found. And this interest rate environment definitely puts pressure on pricing standards. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that does create an opportunity for, um, home buyers and investors alike. Um, I'm not sure we're going to, uh, we're not going to preach the, the marry the house date, the rate thesis, but like yeah. you do, um, you do have to think about like winter market environments when it's a good time to buy winter market environments when it's a good time to hold and high cost of capital markets often create downward pressure on asset prices, which, um, you know, something I'm paying attention to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a very good point. And I'm curious, you said, you know, you said what three to 4% growth over the next 12 months. Is that right? Yeah, that's the, I mean, we we're talking about this, the core logic, uh, home price article. So I'm, I'm like hinging on, on their estimates. There's some pretty okay. wide estimates. I mean, we still have investment banks that are, um, forecasting negative home price appreciation, but most of the housing economists that are watching are like kind of looking at that three to 4% range on a national level. I'm curious, you know, it, it must all be on rate declines, right? Like, I don't, I guess I just don't see how prices keep going up personally unless rates fall. So they must, and, and there's a good chance rates do fall next year. I, I'm just, I'm just saying like, that must be why. Great qualifier there, Dave. I think every housing economist that I am following is forecasting lower rates by the end of 2024. Now, yeah, wishful thinking, um, optimism, <laughs> yeah. fact, I don't know. We don't. Uh, I mean, I, I think, I think every like long-term interest rate forecasting is a fool's like game. And it, there's like, there's no, there's no win so there. Hard. 
And uh, yeah. so, yeah, just when we were like starting to settle in in the mid sixes, everyone was starting to get comfortable with it. Then bond yep. yields just started going crazy in the last month. And it's like no one even really know. Like, yeah, we've had good jobs data, but like no one really even fully understands why bonds have just run up. You know, there's this huge sell off going on right now. But. I mean, a big reason why like mortgage bonds are like the spread is so wide is the Fed's not buying. Yeah, I mean, we we have a long term like look back at the last decade spread between the 10 year and 30 year fixed rate mortgages was 130, 140 basis points. We're sitting at 300 right now. And that is because of the federal reserve. Like this is not, the federal reserve is not just controlling interest rates. They're also controlling, um, they're, they're the throttle on buying mortgage backed securities. And that's creating incredible pressure in the capital markets ecosystem, which arguably is more impactful on the price that consumers and investors are paying for debt than even some of the interest rate moves. So like the federal reserve is having a big impact on, on spreads right now. And, and, and that's something that can be fixed. Like if we start to see a normalization of mortgage backed security buying at the bond market starts to operate as it should, and banks in the Federal Reserve start coming back into the market and buying mortgage-backed securities, we're going to see a massive change in the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage for, for the better. Yeah. Uh, but right now, um, you want to know who's buying mortgage-backed securities? Nobody. Like, it is, yeah. a, it is, a, dead, <laughs> exactly. is a dead market, and that's creating a really big spread. Yeah. So just so everyone understands what we're talking about here, just if you're not familiar, mortgage-backed securities, basically when people, you know, bundle a bunch of different mortgages and they're sold on on markets to investors. And for much of the last, you know, whatever, 15 years or so, one of the biggest buyers of mortgage-backed securities has been the Federal Reserve. As part of their effort to do, quote unquote, quantitative tightening to reduce the monetary supply, they are reducing the amount of bonds that or excuse me, of MBS mortgage backed securities that they are buying. One of the major drivers of mortgage rates, as Clayton just alluded to, is the spread between the 10 year yield and mortgage rates. And normally, like you said, it's about 1.5 percent or 150 basis points. Now it's about double that. And the spread is due to a lot of different complicated things. But one of the main things is demand for mortgage-backed securities. Like that is a major driver of the spread. And as demand goes down, uh, prices for these mortgage-backed securities go down. And that sends yields and interest rates up. So hopefully that makes sense. But I totally agree with you, Clayton, that that is a very complicating factor um, in this entire scenario. And maybe one of the reasons for optimism is that rates will come down because it's not mortgage rates could come down without the federal funds rate falling. What happens if mortgage rates start to come down, demand on MBS will, we, we anticipate will pick up and so at the same time as rates coming down, the, the spread will will um, narrow and rates will come down even faster. So one of the reasons the spread is so wide right now is because who wants to buy a tranche of mortgage-backed securities at a 75 or 8% um, rate? Those loans are going to get refied so fast. So investors need to get paid off quickly. So they're demanding a really like there there's pricing pressure on the mortgage backed security portfolio because the loans are going to get refied the second we see a change in interest rates so the invests the owners of those mortgage backed securities need to get paid fast in the first year or two they need to make their margin on the security and that's one of the other reasons why there's a lot of pressure 
on the spread between the 10 year and tranches of 30 year fixed rate mortgages. So there's a potential for like this market to move really fast in the, in the other direction, but we just haven't found that like that precipice point where there's willing buyers in the market. And, um, if the fed's not buying banks aren't buying and we kind of sit at this, this stalwart kind of like standoff right now where nobody's buying mortgage backed securities. Um, consumers don't want to buy houses at 8% rates yet. There's still an inventory crisis. So home prices hold, hold high. (laughs) It's interesting. Yeah, it definitely is interesting. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think for some people, it's illogical that you wouldn't want a 7% mortgage rate because, you know, as a bank, you would think higher mortgage rates equals higher profit. But as you, as you clearly stated, Clayton, that, you know, with these bank, these loans are not going to be held for a long term. At least that's the overwhelming belief is that rates will come down eventually and that everyone with a seven or 8% mortgage is going to refi into a five or 6% mortgage or whatever it comes down to. And then, you know, a lot of residential mortgages don't have prepayment penalties or anything like yep. this. And so that the only way that a bank makes money is by charging a higher interest rate up front, which is exactly what they're doing. So this is getting a little technical, but it really matters because everyone wants to know where mortgage rates are going. And it's, it's it, a lot of people just look at the Fed and they're like, oh, the Fed is doing this, the Fed is doing that. And that does impact things. But there is this whole other uh, bond market, MBS market that is playing a huge, huge role in mortgage rates right now. So hopefully this helps everyone learn a little bit about it. And you brought like prepayments, an important topic. So like mortgages are one of the only securities out there that do not have any type of prepayment penalty. It's a unique part of our U S housing economy. So if you're a bond trader or a fixed income investor, and you can get yield from corporate debt that has prepayment penalties and will have longer duration. That's a much better investment right now than the 30 year fixed rate mortgage that we know is going to get refied and, um, MBS holders are going to get taken out. So like it's, it's a, it's a complex factor there, but a better, perhaps a better place to spend time than pontificating about where rates will go. It's like what happens when, when rates move. And Dave, one of the things that we're like, thinking about, I don't concerned thinking optimistic. It's, it's a, it's a, (laughs) it's a, it's a weird concentric circle right now. But, um, if rates do move downward in a, in a, at a significant rate, that will be the precipice for more inventory coming to market because home buyers are home sellers. So as soon as the homeowner starts to feel confident and that move up decision or relocation decision, that repeat buyer is going to come back in the game that will create more inventory because they'll sell their, their prior home. Um, this is a good thing. It, it kind of lubricates the market and creates volume for the industry. But what it's also likely to do is put some wind in the sales of home price appreciation again. So if we see interest rates make a significant move beneath seven into the sixes and God forbid back into the fives, I think we're going to see home price appreciation shoot back to the teens. And we're going to be back in a precarious situation where we're talking about affordability issues again, this time driven by the price of the asset, not so much the cost of the capital. Interesting. Wow. And what what, do, do you think there is an inflection point there where it would get that high in appreciation? In terms of rates, there, there is an inflection point there. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I've seen some data from uh, John Burns Real Estate uh, or Research and Consulting, and Zillow hits about five and a half percent. They think is the sort of the the spot. I think that's too low. I think the market is in a full on frenzy at five and a half percent. I kind of do too. That kind of makes sense. I, yeah. I think we have a very functional housing economy at like six percent, and like if we dip back to the fives, I think we are in frenzy land. We're and in trouble. Yeah. The only people like. It's we're, we keep talking about like these first time home buyers. First time home buyers are not anchored or hinged to three percent loans because they didn't get them. Like right. that, that's like they don't know they don't they, they might have heard about it, but like they're not like they're not like me who has like a two handle on their mortgage and it's never going to go anywhere. Yeah, they weren't getting underwritten and like they saw what their monthly payment would have been. Yep. So they'll, they'll be a little bit disjointed. Their nose will be a little bit uh, out of whack, but they will. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they don't. They, they'd never had access to that, that cost of capital. I hope they don't ever again, because we know what happens with 3% cost of debt means that we are in a world war with a national pandemic and some really bad stuff happening in our, right. in our global yes. society. And, um, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to forecast for that or, or bet for that. Cause it's, it's not a good thing. Yeah. You, you and me both. Uh, yeah. It's interesting though. Cause I wonder though, like, the big question to me is what you just brought up, and I'm glad you did, is that in traditional times, you know, you see this scenario where when there's softness in the housing market, inventory goes up. This is clearly not what's going on in this market. And so you your assumption, which I assume too, is that the reverse is going to be true, that when rates fall, the supply and new listings, at least, will start to increase. If it happens proportionately or not, I think is a really big question. You know, if we're going to start to see maybe more demand or maybe more supply or how much supply comes online is still just such a big question. Um, I could see exactly what you're talking about, or I could see in some ways, you know, demand just coming back online without as much proportionate supply, which would lead to this sort of frenzy you're talking about as well. So yeah. uh, I think it's a it's a big thing to watch uh, if and when rates do come down. And if we're going to connect the whole picture and we see this environment where inventory starts coming back and interest rates are palatable, then we start to see an environment where the interconnectivity between the ownership market and the rental market starts to get more attention. So I think we're in a point right now where for first time home buyers home ownership has become inaccessible due to asset price and cost of capital so f potential first time home buyers are choosing to to continue as as tenants and continue renting right. um, in the last week we've seen headlines in the wall street journal we've seen narratives from the national association of realtors about um, potential first-time home buyers extending their leases. Uh, I think there's even some like some YOLO um, type uh, like headlines in the Wall Street Journal about people saying, "I took that that house down payment and went to Europe and like and and this chose to travel." So there's some people um, now. I think we all know like how some of those like article um, sources are developed. It's not always like representative of the whole population, <laughs> right. but like there's a there's a narrative that some folks who had home ownership in their sites are like just backburnering that and they're continue on renting and like go on and live there and live their happy life. But like that, that, that title turn and at a certain inventory level and a certain interest rate level where those renters decide, Hey, home ownership is now like back in my option pool and I'm going to, I'm going to make that jump. So 
ultimately it all comes back to demographics and we have a very strong demographic wave of 20 somethings and early 30 somethings that are either forming households today or reform households in the near future. And it doesn't matter what happens in the financial markets, the interest rate markets. We do not have housing supply to meet the demand of, of current demographics. So those people are either going to own or they're going to rent. There's going to be demand on either side and there's going to be movement between the two. And that's going to be driven by interest rates. Yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting for us, uh, for for our audience in particular, because I think it points to the idea that you know their rents could start growing again too. You know, we saw this crazy rent growth and it's really flattened out. But if this scenario that you're describing does unfold, it would point to further demand for rentals um, and. Uh, you know, I could definitely see that happening. You know, there, there's definitely a logical path where that could happen. The crazy thing with the rent market is it's a lot more feasible to change the volume of rental inventory faster than it is the volume of ownership inventory. So like multifamily developers have been able to bring a lot of inventory to market like really quickly at a, at a pace that home builders cannot. So the, rental market has more control of their own like future than I think the home ownership market does for, for better and for worse, like overbuilding can happen fast. And like, um, inventory problems can be created or solved. And I would defer to you, Dave, on where you think we are in that cycle. Multifamily is not looking great. I mean, from an oversupply perspective, like we're seeing, uh, I think in Q3 of 2023, we're going to see by far the highest delivery of units ever at a point where it's already starting to soften. And it looks like we're going to have above average deliveries for, I don't have the data in front of me, but I think we have above average deliveries. And that just means new units coming online for at least another year. Um, and so I think this is going to create a very interesting situation for multifamily where rents are already getting soft cap rates are rising. There's an influx of supply. Uh, it's why I think on our show, we've been saying that multifamily values were going to drop quite a bit. Uh, and I think, I still think that's true, but probably a conversation for a whole other podcast. Yeah. It's a complicated ecosystem and multifamily, you know, capital is important. And I think that some of the same banks who have been supporting multifamily developers and, and operators, both at development and, uh, lines of credit are going to start feeling some of the, they have exposure to the office market as well. And there's gonna be some pressure on, uh, on access to debt and access to, to credit lines and, um, starting to, starting to see that pop up in the ecosystem already. Definitely. It's honestly unfolded a little slower than I was expecting, but uh, I think that will be a major story in 2024. So we're not going to convert all the office buildings to apartments, right? Are we doing that? I wish. I mean, they keep talking about it, but from everything I look at, it just says it's not really as feasible or as easy as people want it to be. So it would be nice. But before I go, Clayton, you know, we're talking about stories for 2024, you know, with your, your, media business here. Are there any other stories in 2024 you're looking forward to or think are going to be particularly interesting? Yeah. I mean, I think housing is interesting from a media perspective because it's a sector that goes through rapid change. And like our, our mission and vision is to provide the whole pic, the full picture to housing professionals. And I think as a media and data business, we're more important than ever 
in a, in a period of change. So I'm excited to support our audience and support our users as we go through a volatile market. Um, it's you know sad and disappointing that we've seen a lot of really qualified and really successful professionals exit the industry um, yeah. with volume down in real estate and mortgage. We're, we're going through a wave right now where there's a, a, a pretty notable um, reduction in force in the number of yeah, people that are, are part of this industry. And that, you know, that's, it's sad and, and painful to watch, but it, it's also a really important inflection point in, in residential real estate. We're watching volumes, Come down, but we're also watching change at the the national level. Some some pretty headline lawsuits happening around mm-hmm. real estate agent and, and broker commissions, and depending on the outcome of those, and there's some pretty varying viewpoints there. It could be a precipice for major change in the yeah. way that homes are bought and sold, and potentially could open the door to a very strong innovation wave. Like the sound of an innovation wave, you know. I'm not. I'm not hoping for anyone to lose their shirt, but uh, hopefully, it's a it's an innovation wave that uh, r- raises all ships. Yeah, no innovation waves. You know, there's there's probably there's winners and losers, um, but like ultimately, like this industry is built to support the homeowner, and mm-hmm. the changes that we're seeing in market right now, um, as painful as they may be, do seem to point to a more uh, efficient and economical solution toward, toward homeownership. That's going to come with technology It's going to come with faster and, um, more free access to, to data and knowledge and information. Uh, but hopefully it creates a, a faster moving, more easily accessible housing economy. Um, that's great for homeowners. And then ultimately like still is a very fruitful place to do business for, lenders, real estate professionals, and then and folks like you and I who who operate in the ecosystem. All right, great. Well, I trust you all will be covering this closely. If anyone wants to follow Clayton and his team's work at HousingWire, you can find them at housingwire.com. Clayton, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Dave, it's my pleasure. Thank you. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kalen Bennett. The show is produced by Kalen Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. 
These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.